last Sunday of, of um, Advent, everyone um, in uh, my family, we call this day the 23rd Christmas Adam, right? Adam, Eve, baby child, right? Anyway, so please feel free to join us in that, uh, in that uh, tradition as well. No, but this is the last Sunday of Advent. This is a season in which we as Christians prepare for Christ's return when he comes back to this earth. And so it is a season of waiting. It is a season of waiting. And if we're honest, it is a season of nervous waiting. Because you see, there is a great fear, if we're honest, that while we feel somewhat secure in our faith right now, something might happen and we might reject Christ before the end. There's a great anxiety over what the future holds. Might some great tragedy befall me and make me reject God forever? What if some illness to me or to someone I love? What, what if there's an injury? What if I'm unable to live the kind of life that in my mind I always aspired to? What if someone I love dies? A child, a spouse, a best friend. What if I lose all I have? What if, what if that one great sin that I battle with every single day finally triumphs over me? And rips me out of the hands of God. With all of these threats, they seem so much more powerful than our feeble trust in you, Lord God. And right now, Lord, if we're honest, there are times when we feel like we're holding on to you by the thinnest of threads. And none of these things have befallen us. And all this is summed up in one great question. Lord, I'm with you now, but will I make it to the end? Will I make it to the end? And as we see in our reading, we're not the first to have this fear. The prophet Micah was warning God's people that there would be a day when they would be conquered by an invader. In this case, a physical, real invader, the nation of Babylon. 5.1. Now muster your troops, O daughter of, of uh, troops. Siege is laid against us. And with a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. What Micah is pointing towards, towards the people that he's writing for here is that the stable, secure future that the Lord has promised them in their homeland, this comfortable future, would soon be ripped away. And it would feel like it would be ripped away forever. These invaders would come in and kill their loved ones, destroy their king, strike their judge on, on, the, on the cheek. And now they would be slaves. And all that they had worked for, God's people would be hauled away and they would live in poverty. 
it would seem like that the Lord had abandoned them. And with human eyes, it seemed that all of God's promises to love and protect them were all lies. If, if you haven't had a chance to read um, anything by uh, 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 Joni Erickson Tata, Joni Erickson Tata is a wonderful Christian woman who became a, a paraplegic at an incredibly young age, very unexpectedly, and her entire life, her entire future was ripped out of her hands. And it brought her into this incredibly dark night of the soul, as the poets say. Where she doubted every bit of God's goodness. Accused him of evil. And until through the darkness, Christ's patience light began to shine into her heart. And she began to, to see that Christ had not left her alone. You see, our reality is that we live in the true captivity. Under the true Babylon, not a kingdom of human flesh, but a kingdom of sin and death. And when we look around us, all we see, if we're honest, is decay. People we love getting sick and dying, innocent children suffering. And those in power, the church and the state seem to be using their authority to not combat this, but actually to increase it. But when we look in us, we're horrified to see the same. There's a deep jealousy of those who, who possess what we want, what will make us happy. And there are these pervasive sins which have so worn us down that we just justify them. Well, I have to do this for me to function every day. I have to, to uh, do this so I won't be overwhelmed by depression or, or anxiety. We try to justify these pet sins in our hearts. I have plenty of my own. Or we try to cover them up, hide them from the ones who love us, and promise to ourselves that we will never do them again, only to fail and to fail and to fail. You know, I think part of the reason why we love to distract ourselves with TV and social media. So I really fought. I'm actually a TV junkie. So I really fought like Netflix coming into our house and Amazon TV coming in, in, into our house. Endless episodes of Star Trek, you know, endless documentaries on Martin Luther. I could drown in that sea of information and joy all day long. But I think the reason why I'm tempted, I can just speak for, for, for me, the reason why I'm tempted to jump into that ocean and stay there is it's a place to hide. And we are afraid, or at least I'm afraid, of what might happen if I let the full reality of my sin and the world's sin and the brokenness and death's captivity of people I love and myself and the world if I let the fullness, the whole weight of that fall upon me, I'm terrified that it would destroy me. I'm terrified that I might lose all hope in the goodness and the plan of God to rescue this world. I'm afraid that I might give up on God either as an indifferent, distant, distant being 
or a cruel tyrant or even a human invention to take the sting out of the cold truth of death in this pointless world. My faith is so fragile, Lord, so fragile. Is there any hope of me making it through life's painful gauntlet? Well, the good news of the gospel, because I've not forgotten that uh, tomorrow is Christmas. So there is good news here. And what Micah tells us is there's an unqualified yes. You will make it to the end. How do I know this? Well, what does he say? Look at verse 2. Join me here on page 799. Verse, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephatha, which, which means this, this place of fullness, the fruitful Beth, Bethlehem, out of you will come a Savior. And he will do many things, but he focuses on one here. From you shall come forth from, from me the one who is to be ruler in Israel. But also look at verse 4. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. In the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And he shall be their peace. Out of Bethlehem will come a savior. But yes, he's described as a ruler. But the primary imagery here. Is that he will be the one to shepherd us. To shepherd his people. In him, his people will dwell secure. And of all the ways the Holy Spirit could have brought us the comfort to our doubting and weak hearts. He chose to show us Jesus, the shepherd. Of all the things at this moment, why was this good news for these people and for us? Well, the answer is that it is because a good shepherd will get his sheep home. The good shepherd will get his sheep to the green pasture. We don't really live in an agrarian culture here in Mount Pleasant. That might shock some of, of you. But actually, not many of us probably have experience with farm animals or sheep. But it doesn't take much experience with sheep to realize that they are stupid animals. As uh, many of you know, for three years, we lived in England. And, and of course, their land is at a premium. And so sheep are everywhere. And you're driving down the road. I mean, it's a busy road. There are three lanes going this way and three lanes going that way. And all of a sudden, cars just start slamming on brakes. Why? Because there's a sheep crossing the road. Because, hey, the grass over here is over, but the grass in the median looks really good. I'm just going to go straight for it. Totally oblivious to the cars speeding down the road. And, and there's this beautiful place and, and, and where we went to a seminary. It's called the Port Meadow. It's this beautiful uh, open field. And it was common land, so sheep would be all over it. And I literally watched the sheep. Like we sat there and we watched it. We watched the sheep so engrossed in eating. It got closer and closer to about this five-foot drop into the river. 
And then it just kind of just like it was drunk. This guy just fell right over. Just upside down in the water. Legs just sticking out. Had no idea what to do. And if they sense danger, they all run. And they follow the one who got spooked, whether there was real danger or not. But you see, what was so amazing is, is, is literally you're watching the sheep. Rivers in England aren't very deep, so she was never in any real trouble. But um, its legs were sticking up out of the water and bubbles were, were just coming up. No idea what to do. I asked Lizzie if she'd go ahead to the river and get, get the sheep out, and she said no. <laughs> but then all of a sudden, the shepherd would see that. He'd gather up the ones that ran away. And he would literally walk over with like an old school shepherd's crook, right? With the big hook. And reach down in the water and grab that stupid sheep out. Jerk it out. Put it back on, on the bank. And it would shake off and, and run. He takes the flock and herds them and then takes them into a safe pasture. When the stray dogs, which were to come up out of the neighborhoods, the shepherd would drive them off. And he would take great care in taking his sheep from the poisonous thistles and thorns which were all over the place. And he would guide them to the green, healthy grass that he had made for them. If left to their own devices, these sheep would have never gotten there. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And of course, this means he lays down his life for us as sheep to protect us from the ultimate power of sin and death on the cross. Yes, it means he's opened up the doorway of salvation for all people and that by putting our trust in him, we have eternal life. But it also means this. It means that he goes out and he seeks the one who's lost. And when he finds it, he doesn't just call the sheep back, give it a second chance or a third chance or a fourth chance, but it's always that sheep's choice. No. Our good shepherd goes over, grabs that idiot sheep out of the water, puts it on his shoulders because it cannot make it home, and brings the worst home. This means that he, like his shepherd forefather before him, King David, is such a good shepherd that even though a lion and a bear have a sheep in their mouth, David, Jesus Christ, our Savior, goes over and grabs the sheep out of their mouth and fights them off. One is never lost, even when the sheep voluntarily gives themselves to the lion, voluntarily gives themselves to the bear of sin and death. It means this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leaves me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you, Jesus Christ, my great shepherd, are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
You prepare a table before the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Are you terrified of if you'll make it to the end or not? Are you worried like me that some great tragedy might befall you and you're going to lose your faith and you're going to let go of Jesus Christ? Well, guess what? That might happen. And you might let go of Christ in all your anger, in all your bitterness, in all your frustration. You might say, Jesus Christ, I hate you. The good shepherd. And you might try to let go of him, but he will never let go of you. And he will take our whiny, pouty selves, and he will take us through the valley, and he will bring us out on the other end, and his love for, for us will not end. Jesus Christ says, Do not fear my little sheep. I am with you, and I am the good shepherd, and I will carry you, even in your weakest moments, to be home with me. And when I return, I will welcome you into my love forever. And this is good news for us weak sinners indeed. Amen.